This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Decibel Demon Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. All right, here we go again. Time to get all caught up on the world around us. That's right. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast, and right now it's time for Geek Wire. Oh, yeah, the latest and greatest happenings in the world of hard rock and heavy metal music. We're going to cover it all. You're going to learn everything right here today. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my man, the anchor. He's our connection to the deep, dark depths of the things happening in the world of rock and metal music. Chris Sinzak, how you doing, my friend? Ready to deliver all the fake rock and roll news. <laughs> well, it's all fake, huh? I don't know. Somebody will probably accuse us of that at some point. It'd be that they, you know, the fake news thing will bleed into the rock world now. Uh, yeah, we could just start. This would be so much easier. We just start making up our own stories. That could be fun. <laughs> Maybe like we'll start a trend of like one story we cover every time we do GeekWire will be phony. You have to figure out which one is. Nice. That'd be like uh, when I was on the Rock and Metal Combat podcast recently, and I'm sitting there going, man, this show is way more informative than GeekWire. <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, we're making half this shit up. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I like that, too. <laughs> but then they'll accuse us of ripping them off. Right? Good. Good for them. They should. Um, we got some breaking news. Mm-hmm. If you guys have been missing us on the Friday Night live stream. We're coming back. That's right. We got something cool going on next week where our friends, Dawn of the Rising, you guys know them, they're coming to town. They're coming to Nashville, and they're doing this thing called the Josie Awards. I don't know a whole lot about that, but I got to imagine they must be up for the award of most awesome hard rock and heavy metal band right now, and we're hoping they win that, but in the meantime, they're coming to town, and we got Friday night free, and we thought... How perfect. Let's bring our friends on and let's do a little Friday Night Live action. So keep that in mind coming up on the 20th on Friday night. We're bringing it back. The Friday Night Live stream with Decibel Geek Podcast. Bringing our friends Dawn of the Rising with us. It's going to be a Friday Night Rock and Roll Party and you're invited. Join us on the live stream. Interact with us. We're going to have an awesome time. God willing, we can make the stream work. (laughs) That's the big thing we're worried about right now. We're figuring out the logistics of everything right before we start recording. But I have faith in us. I'm sure we can pull it off. No, it should be fun. And uh, I think I heard that one of the guys in Dawn of the Rising wants to do a Beat the Geek. Okay. All right. I'm sure I can put one together just for those guys. Cool. And for anybody that wants to tune in and hang out with us on Friday night on the 20th. Yep, yep. 
All right, we ready to get to some news? Yeah, man, hit us with it. All right, well, I know it's not your segment yet, but Sharon Osbourne recently celebrated her birthday, and uh, on that note, let's talk about her death. Um, this is an article from Blabbermouth stating that uh, she has explained her and Ozzy's assisted suicide pact. I figured we'd start off on a light note today. You know, I think I've heard a little bit about this before. And she said, if I can't live my life, my life the way I'm living it now, and I don't mean financially, then that's it. Switzerland. If I can't get up and go to the bathroom myself, and I've got tubes up my ass and an enema in my throat. Oh, no, this is Ozzy saying this. Then I've said to Sharon, just turn the machine off. If I had a stroke and was paralyzed, I don't want to be here. I've made a will, and it's all going to Sharon if I die before her. So ultimately, it will all go to the kids. And that's that's what he said in 2014. Okay. Okay, that's maybe where I remember hearing that from, because I remember thinking, wow, that's kind of cryptic, but, you know, it makes sense. And in Sweden, they'll Kevorkian you, and yeah. it's not illegal there. Yeah, I think this was something that was brought up on the, uh, so the Osbournes are back in podcast form. They have a YouTube show. Oh, so wow. um, Ozzy, Sharon, and the kids are doing that. And um, among the topics covered in their fifth episode uh, is Sharon's claim in her t- 2007 memoir that she and Ozzy had agreed to go to a Swiss-assisted dying organization, Dignitas, should either of them suffer from the common form of dementia. Asked by Jack if it's still the plan, Sharon said, do you think we're going to suffer? When Jack countered with, aren't we already all suffering? She said, yes, we all are, but I don't want it to actually hurt as well. Mental suffering is pain enough without physical. So if you've got mental and physical, see ya. And uh, Kelly said, but what if you could survive? And then Sharon said, yeah, what if you survived and you can't wipe your own ass? You're pissing everywhere, shitting, can't eat. Yeah. So I guess that's the plan um, If they, when things get so bad. You know, when you put it like that, it actually sounds like a good idea. Like why you want to put your kids through all that? Why you want to, why would you want to be alive if you can't wipe your own ass? You know, if it's the simplest thing and you can't do it, unless there's a chance that, you know, Hey, you might snap out of it. Then I, I can't disagree with it. And proof that if you're rich enough, you can even die the way you want to. Yeah, that, this is true. That's the only problem here is like, if I'm in that kind of shape, I probably ain't got the cash to fly to Switzerland to get that done. Yeah. But I guess it's a clinic that somehow has a humane way of putting you to sleep. I don't know. That's that's a touchy subject for sure. But I can see, I can see both sides of it. I really can. You know, where like, would I want to live like that? Probably not. No, I'd probably consider doing the same thing if, if I had the money to do it. Right, yeah. Hmm, interesting. Roger Waters made a lot of friends at a concert recently. Did you hear about this story? <laughs> no, but I, I got to imagine Roger Waters makes friends everywhere he goes, right? Uh, yeah. Um. He played his first show since June this past Sunday on October the 8th and did some of his uh, Dark Side of the Moon redux or how redo or however you want to say it. And... uh. At, but I guess it, he opened the show with an hour of him just monologuing and reading passages out of uh, his autobiography. What? That's weird. <laughs> and was going on rants and stuff. And <clears throat> at uh, one, you know, and I guess people started heckling him or, uh, you know, saying stuff. And uh, then some even got up and started walking out and he just yelled out, fuck off. And, uh, went on with his show and did it. But wow. this guy, he just seems like an incredibly miserable human being. 
Yeah, the last guy you want to hand a live mic to and be like, just go out there and riff for a while is probably Roger Waters. <laughs> Man. Hi, I'm from Blabbermouth. Here's a live microphone. Please go out there and talk while I jot down the things you say. <laughs> I mean, because he's always saying, I don't know. I, I don't I don't follow it that close. I don't really know. I know he's been accused of a lot of stuff that he yeah. comes back and says, no, no, that's not what I meant. But then when you listen to what he says, it kind of lets, that's kind of how it sounds like you meant it. But then you can always come back like, no, no, you took that wrong. Uh, yeah, but it, I don't know. I've seen a lot of his quotes, and uh, especially with what's going on in the world this week, uh, I'm sure he's going to keep coming up in the news due to that stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's war happening all over the place now. It's nuts. We don't care about the world's problems. We're worried about rock and metal. <laughs> yeah, the important things in life. Damn right. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, no, we do worry about that stuff, but this is what yeah. the show is. It's an escape from that for an hour. Um. We want to worry about things like who's actually on the cover of Vulgar Display of Power. Getting punched in the face? Yeah. Like, do you ever wonder, who is that guy? You know, I don't know that I ever have. Do you have the answer to that? I do. And, and apparently there was a lot of, this is one thing I know I never remember even hearing talk about what the cover or like the, the cover session. Because, I mean, obviously it's a dude getting punched in the face, but the, apparently there was like some mythological lore about this whole photo shoot that happened for years. And the band members even fed into it saying that, yeah, they, they hired a guy to get punched in the face and the photo session, like they had to punch the guy in the face like 30 plus times. And turns out that's not true at all. Okay. Wow. <laughs> the, um, photographer himself, a guy named Brad Guise or Guise. um, but yeah, apparently uh, the the story was that this guy got punched repeatedly at a rate of ten dollars per punch to capture the shot. Wow! Oh man, <laughs> I think I'd want to get paid a little more than that. Yeah, but the truth is, the actual guy who was actually a cover model who was like he was hired from a modeling agency, um, wasn't actually punched at all. It was more like shoved with the image manipulated afterward to make it look like it's movement. Okay. So. Basically, they probably put the guys the fist up to the guy's face, pushed in, and then like pushed forward to shove it. And yeah. um, that was that was the real story. It wasn't it wasn't the what they people made out made it out to be. I didn't know it really was a story, but I thought it was it. At Loudwire is beating the shit out of Blabbermouth these days with interesting stuff like this compared like to that. whatever the fuck Corey Taylor thinks this week. Right? Yeah, I like that. So I sourced like a few stories from Loudwire this week, and it's it's more interesting to talk about. That's cool. You know, I we've heard the story about the guy jumping through the fire on what reinventing the steel. Yeah, but I never thought about the guy getting punched in the face. No, I never did either. But yeah, so it was a, a hired model, and he wasn't actually really punched. Well, I like the other story better. Yeah, well, it's more entertaining. <clears throat> Oh, I do. This is a tangent, but I thought saw I saw something interesting. I was watching Podcast Rock City's live stream recently, and I don't remember if Joe Polo from Podcast Rock City came up with this idea, or maybe it was someone in the comments when they were doing it. They were showing. Do you remember the Kiss appearance on Flo and Eddie during the Elder era? Um, were they lip sync? 
No, this is like a, it's a talk show and they do an interview with them. And then after the interview, there's this stupid little skit where Flo and Eddie are dressed up like circus performers and they've got like a stuffed hippopotamus and they light up a hula hoop that has like little papers hanging off of it and throw the hippo through it. I have definitely never seen this. <laughs> oh, I can't believe you've never seen it. <laughs> the way you're describing it, this sounds like something I would definitely remember if I had seen oh, it. Oh, yeah, you would remember it. Um, it's incredibly tr- cringeworthy. It's stupid. Um, it's just goofy in all the wrong ways. But the thing is, either Joe or somebody in the comments, they were like, oh, this must be the uh, the influence for the Heavens on Fire video where Paul jumps through the ring. Oh, because Paul jumps through the hula hoop? Yeah, the, well, he jumps through the flaming ring, and that's like that's what they're doing in this skit. They're throwing stuffed hippopotamus through a hula hoop with like toilet paper hanging off of it that's on fire. That's weird. Yeah, I just thought that was funny. I'm going to have to look that up now. I can't believe you haven't seen it before. It's on YouTube. No, I can't believe it either. It sounds like it's pretty legendary. <laughs> yeah, and for all the wrong reasons. Yeah? Yeah, it's really cringy. Can I go off on a tangent? Yeah. Have you seen this shit going on with Pretty Boy Floyd? No. What's going on? Oh, wow, dude. There's some crazy stuff, and I had no idea. Apparently, I'm friends with both Christy Majors and Steve Summers on Facebook, and I really didn't realize it until about a month ago when shit really started breaking off. It started out with Christy Majors was mad because Steve Summers and his wife bought a house, and... He must have looked at it and said, hey, how are you buying a house when I'm not getting nothing? Hmm. And it turned into this crazy thing online. So it starts off last month with Christy Majors posting all kinds of crazy stuff. So Christy Majors goes online and he starts talking about, I know how bad you want the fans and the public to believe and trust you, Steve. So please post a signed agreement, a text message. How about an email, maybe a paper napkin that says that you, your wife, and the rest of the band can use my name, my image, likeness, and logo to profit without paying me a single penny. And he says, oh, wait, it doesn't exist because I'm not a stupid idiot who would agree to anything like that. I stripped you of Pretty Boy Floyd's name before, and I will do it again. This time, it's with no remorse. Oh, shit. So that was the first thing I saw, and I was like, whoa, you know? Like, wow, that dude's mad. So then it's like once I looked at that, it was like, holy shit, then I'm starting to see more posts after that. And so then like a couple of days later, he posts what appears to be a text from Steve asking if it's cool to tell somebody that a BC Rich Warlock that he had found in a pawn shop on the cheap was actually a guitar that belonged to Christy Major's back in the day and he could sell it and maybe give him a little money and it's like oh shit you know that's low down and then the same day christy majors he creates a meme with a picture of steve his wife and their dog and it's captioned with we love the fans right honey especially the ones we can steal from (laughs) and that was my reaction too i was like holy shit you know so now i'm keeping an eye on it because this is kind of entertaining at this point. Oh, man. Then he makes a post that appears to be a message from a person who paid Steve $500 for a bogus guitar that he was told was used by Christy during rehearsals, where the guy is going, hey, 
I got this guitar with your autograph on it. Is it legit? And it's not. Wow. It's messed up, man. That's some Vinnie Vincent shit right there. Yeah, so he goes on, and he's talking about, like, you know, stop using the name, stop ripping off the fans, stop selling merchandise. Stephen Piercy, Brett Michaels, Vince Neil, David Lee Roth, they do it legit. He says, I'm warning all musicians, booking agents, and promoters to avoid legal action. You must stop this illegal activity now, or my attorneys will come after you individually and collectively. So now shit's flamed up pretty good here. Mm. Then he posts a video of Pretty Boy Floyd playing recently and says he can hear his own voice singing on the backup tapes <laughs> to the show that they're playing now. This guy's been out of the band for a long time. Calls him a bunch of fucking frauds. <laughs> oh, he's out of the band. I thought he was still in the band. No, no, he's not in the band. It has been for a while. Oh, I didn't even know. So that. that's that's yeah, that's where this is all coming from, where he owns a piece of it as a founding member, allegedly, according to all this, and that, you know, the band carries on without him and they're still using his stuff, his logo, everything that apparently, according to this, that he owns. On the twenty first, he posts a message that says, I have received hundreds of of messages with pictures asking me to verify my signature on merchandise and memorabilia. It saddens me to say that 99.9% of these signatures are all forged, along with Vic Fox's signature. He says, I have exposed Steve Summers and his wife for their behavior and raised awareness to the fans. I have nothing to gain by going public with this information. In fact, it just tarnishes the band's name and legacy. Now remember, this is Pretty Boy Floyd we're talking about. Uh-huh. I did this because it's the right thing to do. I have a very private and successful life outside this band. Many of you are not aware of that. I can't police the internet or social media every day. I don't want to. My attorneys have been retained. So that's where it kind of goes. Well, what, let me cut you off for a second. Can we really believe that he got hundreds of messages of people yeah, buying his autograph? Yeah, that's what I kind of thought, too, you know, because it's... It's pretty boy Floyd. I mean, I don't know. They got a hundred fans, right? I bet it was no more than five. Yeah. I mean, cause shit gets crazier, even crazier. He says he reported a claim today with the FCC or no, with the FTC and anyone that's been a victim of it. He's got a link on here so they can report them. I'm up with it up to this point. It's like, wow, you know, that's shitty. Mm. And then things get a little weird. Er. (laughs) It's already weird. So on the 28th, Christy Majors puts up a photo of Steve Summers' wife. She's a good-looking woman. But it says this. Hi, I'm Delphine. I met my husband because I was a groupie waiting outside an L.A. Guns Pretty Boy Floyd show in France. I steal from Pretty Boy Floyd fans because my husband doesn't have a bank account or PayPal account, and we desperately needed the money to survive after he got fired from DJing at the strip bar. Yeah, I know. I hit the jackpot when I married him. Isn't he a dream? And then it's got like a not-so-flattering picture of Steve Summers. (laughs) (laughs) This is such high school mean girl shit. Oh, no. It it goes on. (laughs) All right? When our dog Teddy got sick, we put up a GoFundMe and raised money so I could go get a boob job. 
Thank you to everyone who donated to my tits. This was very hard to find a doctor to do it for $2,000, and I guess that's why I have these terrible scars. Oh, well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. No, that's not it. Yes, I'm very insecure. I don't sleep. And I have these pathetic little pony tattoos all over my body. I know my husband cheats on me and drinks excessively. But if I leave him, I won't be able to steal from Christy and the Pretty Boy Floyd fans. Anyway, my brother-in-law Mitch Podwell was a drug dealer. You can read the story from 1989 in the LA Times. It's got a link. He died from dealing drugs in another country. We did another GoFundMe. I want to thank everyone who donated. It's much easier than selling. Damn, he's like going after the whole family here. But then he's got like they they got six thousand three hundred some dollars off of that. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty severe. Is there we're, any any response from Steve? We're getting there. Okay, we're getting there. <laughs> Hell, fuck all the other stories. This is yeah. Interesting. No, that's that's the that's the crescendo of this whole thing. Uh, with with all the GoFundMes and stealing I did, I was able to buy a house in Spring, Texas. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to keep it, though, because Christy filed a lawsuit against us, and we're going to lose the case because he has all the evidence and proof of the fraud and crimes I committed with my dreamboat husband. All right, let me get back to stealing. You fans are so stupid, and stealing from you is easier than I thought. <laughs> Whoa. That's a lot of work put into all that. Yeah, he's uh he, he's in a rage here. Let's see where we got. Okay. So then finally we get word from Steve Summers on all this. Now at this point, I'm not the biggest pretty boy Floyd fan in the world, to be honest with you, but I'm pretty invested in this story at this point. Well, this is way more interesting than their music for sure. Yeah, one hundred percent. So Steve Summers finally posts. He says I will say again, my friends and fans, what a joke this guy is. Never have I met such a lazy fraud in my life. And hey, I've met a lot of dipshits in my life. Come on. Come on, do a show with us. You are welcome to... Oh, man, he's a bad typer. (laughs) (laughs) He's illiterate, too. (laughs) Yeah, you're very welcome sports show. The fans really... Facts. Quit the band... When it first got hard after Leather Boys, two broken marriages, over 20 lawsuits, no family, no friends, no wife, no agency, and success he doesn't talk about. Come on, you got to leave the apartment for success or at least have a life. Okay, no girlfriend, no pets, no job. Besides, he's paid for the likes on social media pages and a few comments. The world is laughing, bro. Everyone else is cringing, pal. I would know I'm doing the shows. The real fans come to the shows or they private message me and all the work, which for me is fun because I have a passion for music and the band that I put together piece by piece, I love to see the fans. Just a narcissist that tries to fool people behind a computer with fake pics from what, 10 years ago, maybe 15? You want to see the real person and why he doesn't leave his dirty apartment? Well, I have the actual citation from the city and fire department for his hoarding. But hey, that's for another time. <laughs> oh, man. 
all these guys are really going at each other. Oh, yeah, it's something else. This goes on. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry it has to be this way, people, but you can attack me all you want, any of you, but I will attack back. So watch your backs. Hey, I'm in the public eye. It's going to happen, but you attack my family, my family, which you have none. I'm sorry to say that you are a different part of low, but hey, you have been low since we met. I guess age has just warped you more. It's sad. Look in the mirror right now. What do you see, pal? Not so pretty anymore, is it? This is 2023, not 2000s. You're done. You're finished. The game is over. Sorry, people, but he is done. How about a match in front of the Whiskey or Roxy, December 28th? Let the people see this success story. Have a great day and enjoy those Krispy Kremes. If you, that's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, I remember. I think on Metal Sludge, people started calling him Krispy Kreme Majors. Ah, okay. That's where that comes from. Because he's put funny. on some pounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I figured he was insinuating there. Yeah. Did he just challenge him to a fight? <laughs> he did, and had a date and a place and everything. Oh, God. Yeah. If you want to see why he's so pissed and jealous and won't play a show for the fans, just go to the Real Cameo page and put his stage name in. You don't have to pay and press on video. Not the pics from 12 years ago. There he is. Have a great day. I am. Get a job and do some work. This isn't reality TV. Call me. Meet me. Didn't think so. You're a pussy. (laughs) Oh, one more thing. One more thing. The reason I've talked about him coming back to play or talked him up or said we put the band together is because he cries when he's not talked about. I've been covering for this piece of work this whole time. Isn't it strange that everything is going so well these last few years without him? Isn't that odd? Oh yeah, and anytime you want to pay me anything from the check from HBO Max that was sent to you, that I have a copy of from their accounting for Peacemaker, that would be so kind of you. Haven't seen a cent from that. Well, I'm going to get back to my workout, and you get back to following the life of me and my wife and my band, bud. Have to admit it, I would be jealous too. Pretty boy feud. <laughs> pretty ugly yeah. for pretty boys. Mm. What a mess! Yeah, isn't that wild? Man, yeah, they're uh, yeah. This, like I said, this is way more interesting than the music. It's uh, what a drama, Jesus! I care way more about Pretty Boy Floyd right now than I have ever. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I have never spent that amount of time. What you've just heard me say is the most time in my entire life I've ever spent talking about Pretty Boy Floyd. So this has been a thing talked about in the past by some pretty uh, unscrupulous people, but uh, this might be the time that we get a uh, boxing ring and rocking pod. Uh, You know what? That would be a good one. I think people would pay to see that. Yeah, bum fights live. <laughs> Rocket pod. <laughs> Rocket pod. The pretty boy battle. The battle of the, ha- the not the has-beens, the never wers. That's wild, man. Yeah, that's uh, that's funny as hell. <laughs> I will say this though, I do own 
like a bunch of Pretty Boy Floyd CDs. I know, I've seen them. But it was because for at one time or another, for whatever reason, like my vision on the computer came across this like eBay deal mm-hmm. where it was like a whole bunch of CDs for like it was really cheap. And I was like, wow, that's like the whole Pretty Boy Floyd collection and the price is really good on something like that. Not the biggest fan, but you know what? For the collection, what the hell? You know, yeah. so I I paid for it and got it. And it came with some extra stuff, some stickers, some bandanas, which my wife ended up selling at Rock and Pod. So I'm a, you know, there are pretty boy Floyd fans out there. They had the look, they had the name, they just really didn't have the music. I did own the first record. I bought that on CD. Yeah. yeah. But the CDs that I got were bootlegs. Oh, really? But I really didn't care. It's <laughs> like, well, you get what you get. Yeah. I didn't pay that much for it. But yeah, so if that was from Steve Summers, I don't think it was very clear about if they were like the legit CDs. I mean, but at that point, I mean, they were all bootlegs, weren't they? I mean, I don't think, I guess Pretty Boy Floyd was probably always on some sort of a label, I guess. Yeah, I know in the first album, they definitely were. I think they were on Capitol. For sure, the first one. Yeah. And I'm sure like they were on lower tier Mm -hmm. record labels after that and came out with legit CDs at the time when they were coming out with new albums. But these things are all bootlegs. But like I said, I'm not a big enough Pretty Boy Floyd fan that I was upset about it. I was just like, "Eh, that's cool, whatever. They're probably fun to see live. I've never seen them live. We had the chance to see them live. I think, if my memory serves correctly, they were at Creatures Fest. Oh, yeah, they were, weren't they? And they played, they ended up changing things up, and Pretty Boy Floyd played after Vinnie Vincent. Oh, jeez. But the funny thing I remember about that was, like, the line was so long to get into Vinnie Vincent, and it was backed way the hell up. And, like, Pretty Boy Floyd, all of a sudden, like, comes out of the elevator. I don't even know who they are, but they look, you know, they're like, oh, they're they're a band or they are rockers, you know, for sure. And they're like, yeah, what's going on all year? You know, it is like somebody said, oh, they're like, what's this line for? And they're like, Vinnie Vincent. And they're like, treated everybody like they were a bunch of nerds, which we were, you know. (laughs) (laughs) We're all waiting in line to see what this Vinnie Vincent thing is going to be. And they were kind of making fun of us for doing it. Uh And I was like, them fucking pretty boy Floyd guys. What a bunch of assholes. You know, things are bad when you're being made fun of by pretty boy Floyd. Exactly. Exactly. It really made me question my life decisions at that moment. Like, what am I doing with myself? Why am I here? What is this? How did I get to this point? (laughs) It took pretty boy Floyd to point it out, to make Uh, me realize I've made some poor choices this weekend. (laughs) Nothing like waiting in in a line in a hallway to see Vinnie Vincent live. Twice in my life. Well, not live, but I've, I've definitely waited in line for Vinnie Vincent twice. Twice in my life. You Thank go. you, pretty boy Floyd. That will never happen again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't think of any reason otherwise that would bring people out. <laughs> but then after the Vinnie Vincent thing, everybody left and nobody went and seen pretty boy Floyd, I don't think. Right. Uh, this was a story. I'll just go over this briefly. Uh, in Loudwire, it was the, they did a calculation of the top-selling rock and metal artists uh, for live concert tickets. Like accumulative? Yeah. Okay. But it's a, it's a Polestar report, and um, 
data was only first collected in 1981. So anything before 81 is not factored into these figures. Okay. All right. So, so before 80, nothing before 81. So immediately the thing that one that pops into my mind, when you think of like long career and popularity that never really truly wanes, I would guess the Rolling Stones for number one. Yeah. They're not number one. I bet you that 81 cutoff screwed them then. Yeah, the the Stones are number two. Okay, all right. 22 million tickets sold. And these these are just rock bands, rock and metal bands. Yeah, the, yeah just the rock and metal bands. Who's bigger than the Stones? That would have been around after 81. And they're still around, and they're in the news a lot the last couple of weeks. Oh, man, it's not that stupid U2, is it? Yeah. Oh, shit. 26 million tickets sold. Golly. I don't get it. I don't get you two. I like I like some of their stuff. I, I, I'd like to see them live once. You know what I hate the most about you two? Mm. Is when somebody wishes me a good day. And then I'm forced to say that band's fucking name every time. I say that <laughs> band's name probably 50 times a week, if not more. And I'm sick of it. What's brilliant on their part. From now on, when people say, hey, you have a good day, I'm going to say Metallica. <laughs> or something. And then they'll just think a, you're a, mentally a, disturbed. <laughs> a, different, a different good band. Hey, sir, you have a great day. Ozzy fucking Osbourne. I'm not <laughs> saying it no more. I'm tired of it. Number three, Bruce Springsteen. Number four, Elton John. Yeah, man, I don't, the most popular bands are like the ones I just, I don't get, you know, I don't get those bands. I, I, I don't get into Bruce Springsteen. I don't get into you two. Who was the other one? Elton John. Elton John. I don't get into that either. I like, well, Springsteen, I'm definitely not a fan of. I like some Elton John and I like a little bit more you two, actually. I like a handful of their records. Um, Highest Metallica. They're the highest metal band, of course. 19 yeah. million tickets. Bon Jovi, right after them, was 17. Yeah, yeah. Then it's Billy Joel, Grateful Dead, uh, Trans-Siberian wow. Orchestra. Wow. 15 wow. million tickets sold. But, I mean, they have two different groups that go out on each coast. Right. And they've got the double grab on the audience. You're getting the rock and rollers that appreciate the musicianship of it. And then they bring their whole families with them because it's a Christmas event. Yeah. I wanted to go this year. It's fucking expensive, though. Um, Not into it. Uh, Aerosmith, 13 million. Wow. Is Kiss on this list anywhere? We'll get there. Well, I, I haven't gone all the way through it. ACDC is behind Aerosmith. They've had wow. 11 million. I'm surprised at that. Maybe it's that Aerosmith toured more. Probably. There were some big breaks in between a lot of those ACDC albums. Yeah. Def Leppard with 11 million. Yeah. Um, the Eagles with 10 million. I thought they would have been higher, but I guess they had a giant break of touring, but you know, when they were broken up. Right. Yeah. The fact when they reunited probably jumped them right back onto the list and they might have been off of it before that. Yeah. Talk Paul, about 81 cutoff. Yeah. So, like, you don't get all their 70s sales. Kiss would be a lot higher if this list went back to like 71. Yeah. Then you got Paul McCartney, 10 million. 
uh, Journey with nine. Okay, then Kiss is after Journey. Nine million okay. sold. Yeah, not bad. And so Kiss is ahead of Iron Maiden. Yeah. And you yeah. got to think that's an even playing ground between them and Iron Maiden, too. Because if you're talking about starting in 1981, not counting the 70s, that's a pretty even matchup then. Yeah. Iron so Maiden. tells you Kiss, Kiss was more popular. But what the fuck is popularity? I mean, those crappy bands are all up at the top. Then you got ZZ Top and then our friend Roger Waters, who we just talked about. Um, wow. Roger Waters. Higher than Pink Floyd? I guess so. Wow. Yeah. And that's got to um, be an equation about how many sh- how many shows were performed too, I got to imagine. Then Motley Crue with 8 and then surprisingly Rush right behind them at nice. 8 million. That's cool. I like to see that. The underdogs. Yeah, Rush sold more tickets than Guns N' Roses. Yeah, but they also had a full decade jump on them. And steady touring, too. And steady touring that entire time. And uh, before, 10 years before GNR, and at the same time. Yeah. And then in, at $7 million, you got Tom Petty and then Van Halen. And if you look at, like, if you did averages, then Guns N' Roses would be way higher. But because that band had such a short lifespan, it's surprising a band with that short of a lifespan would actually make it onto that, that onto this list. But that really accounts for Guns N' Roses' popularity while they were a thing. Yeah, and then it's it gets kind of boring after that. But, I mean, Scorpions are on here, Foo Fighters, um, Phil Collins, and then the, the last one is Tool. Okay. All so, right. well, but it's interesting. Uh, a couple of those I didn't think would be higher than others. Man, there's a lot of U2 fans out there. Yeah. Um, Watch out. All right. Well, I'm waiting for a headline that states that somebody was not approached about joining Black Sabbath after seeing this article. <laughs> Apparently, Graham Bonnet was also approached about being in the band at one point. Yeah, man. We've heard them all now. I mean, but that doesn't surprise me too much, you know, because of how incestual Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Rainbow, all that was with their members. You know, they they were always flip-flopping back and forth. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it was after he had left Rainbow that he got approached by the band to join. But uh, I don't know. He decided to work with less temperamental guitar players and then start working <laughs> with Rainbow. That's funny. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all, you know, because them guys were all, I mean, Glenn Hughes, Jolyn Turner, all Ray, them guys. Ray Gillen. Ray Gillen, yeah, all of them. Yeah, what a weird history with that band. And your favorite, Ian Gillen. Oh, yeah. I'd rather hear Graham Bonnet sing for him. That's true. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Would have been interesting. Well, you're going to lay some dates on us? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do some Camaro segment here. We're talking about album anniversaries, rock star death days, and albums to look forward to coming our way real soon. So let's start with the anniversaries, and we got some good ones here. Let's go back five years for this one. It's the five-year anniversary in this, what we'll call, listening cycle of the Decibel Geek podcast of GeekWire. You want to remember five years ago? Man, this was a good one. Ace Fraley's back with Spaceman. I love this album. Got great songs on it like Bronx Boy, 
Rockin' with the Boys, Mission to Mars. Got a collaboration with Gene Simmons. Anton Figs on it. It was the last one we got from Ace. It was a good one. I'm looking forward to the next one. It's supposed to be coming in the spring, I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, because that's what they always say. <laughs> that was Ace's go-to answer for like 10 years. Yeah, in the spring. Well, this time hopefully it comes true. Ace Fraley Spaceman back in 2018 goes to number 49 on the charts. Also celebrating a five-year anniversary, the debut of Greta Van Fleet, a band. Some people love them. Some people just think they're Led Zeppelin ripoffs. I think they're pretty good, and I don't mind that they pay tribute to the legends through their music. Their debut album, Anthem of the Peaceful Army, goes to number three five years ago. Still hear about them once in a while. I actually like the newest one. Yeah, they just came out with an album this year, so you know that tells you something. When their debut album goes to number three, and all these five years later, they're still doing it. Got to have something good going on. Worth checking out, I think. So let's jump back 10 years to 2013. On the 18th, we will remember the album anniversary of the second to the last album from Motorhead. It was Aftershock. And I remember this one because it was the first Motorhead album of the Decibel Geek era. That's right. And we were really excited about it when it came out. It's a great album, full of great songs. If you love Motorhead, they were on it with that one, with Aftershock. It was really good. Goes to number 22 in the U.S., which at the time was their highest charting album ever. That might might have been around when they did that documentary on him, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, that's about the right time for that. So it re-energized people on Motorhead. They said, oh yeah, that band, Ace of Spades, right? Oh, they got a bunch of other great songs too you ought to check out because they've been putting out albums for 20 years. And they were still doing it damn well in 2013. So let's jump back 15 years. Here's an anniversary. This one kind of surprised me because it's like, wow, it doesn't feel like it's been 15 years ago, but it definitely has. That ACDC released their 15th studio album, Black Ice. That was the uh, Walmart exclusive deal. Right, because... It was the first album they'd released in eight years. So when that album came out, it was only physical product. You get the LP, you get the CD, but you could not download it. They're like, it's tw- it's 2008. What's what's download? What's streaming? We don't want to mess with that. That sounds weird. We're not doing it. But even at that, partnering up with Walmart was a good thing because, I mean, it's ACDC. First album in eight years goes to number one. I was digging through uh, some of my kids' old stuff in the garage the other day that we saved, and one of the things I found in our son's uh, box was an ACDC Black Ice uh, school folder Nice that I had bought at Walmart because they had like extra stuff like that when the album came out. That's cool. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that was a pretty big deal, man. Good album. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's aged all right. Yeah, I think so. I haven't listened to that one in a minute. I might have to pull that back out. That's what I was thinking about when I saw that. I was like, you know what? That's kind of a lost album at this point because, I mean, when you put in ACDC, you automatically go back to the classic stuff, you know? So Black Ice, pretty overlooked now, but at the time, pretty damn big deal. Mm-hmm. I was there <laughs> in 2008. So now let's jump way back 25 years ago. 
These are the albums you want to think about. These are the ones celebrating big 25-year anniversaries. This one was a big deal to me. It was Black Sabbath Reunion. The first time all four original members recorded anything in the studios together since 1978. Had the song Selling My Soul on it, along with another new song called Psycho Man. Got played on the radio quite a bit. Black Sabbath getting back together with Ozzy in 1998 was a pretty damn big deal. Just hard to believe that's been 25 years. Yeah, for sure. It definitely has. That album goes number 11 in the U.S. They do the big OzFest tour the year before with Black Sabbath reunited. They take some uh, live audio from that tour, and there's some live stuff on that album too. But man, those two new songs, Selling My Soul and Psycho Man, I love them both still. Right on. Here's what I know you'll be celebrating, Chris. It's the 25-year anniversary of the Vanilla Ice album, Hard to Swallow. Oh, man. I've got a party planned and everything. The heavy metal album from Vanilla Ice. That's right. D- did you actually buy this one? I didn't buy it, but I can tell you a cool story about it. When this is 1998, so this is right in the area, kind of my peak of me being in radio and having my own show on the night shift on Z104 in central Wisconsin. And... You know, just like every other rock radio DJ ever, we did smash or trash. And I remember getting this and going, what? Vanilla Ice. And the program manager was like, well, just listen to it one time. And I listened to it and I was like, but this is, it's kind of like corn and like these other like new metal bands that are pretty popular right now. And I was surprised at that because when you, get vanilla ice you think ice ice baby you know that's really the only thing he's known for and this was completely different at the time i had no idea but it had shannon larkin on drums mm-hmm. you know front famous from amen and ugly kid joe and god smack and a bunch of other cool stuff had sunny mayo on guitar who was in snot and would go on to do some stuff with ugly kid joe it was produced by ross robinson and his very next project after the Vanilla Ice heavy metal album was the debut album from Slipknot. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So you see like where where that kind of comes from because that's musically sort of what this album was. Yeah. Well, he surrounded himself with the right people to do it. Right, totally. So when Smasher Trash comes up on Z104 and I'm handed Vanilla Ice, I go, I chuckle a little bit and I go, "Okay, cool." So when I do it, I say, I'm going to play this new band for you, and I want you to check it out, and I want you to tell me if you like it, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. I'll tell you all about it after I play it. So I play it, and the phone lines light up, and it's like, you know, what do you think? Oh, I love it. It's heavy. It's awesome. It's great, you know, and it was like one right after another. Everyone's like, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then I go, I play those. Everybody seems to love this. It's the brand new one from vanilla ice the next phone calls immediately after that are like it sucks i hate it it's lame it's dumb i don't it sucks (laughs) so when they didn't know it was vanilla ice it's pretty cool as soon as they figured out that it was vanilla ice not cool at all that's a good troll job on your part yeah that was awesome (laughs) i always remember that to this day every time i think of vanilla ice that's what i think of uh let's see released on the very same day Wow, 
this is legendary here. <laughs> Probably not for the right reason. No, this is a great album. This is way better than Vanilla Ice. It's the seventh full-length studio album from King's X, the album Tapehead. Oh, I love that one. This is a great album. It's their first album after being dropped from Atlantic. They get picked up by Metal Blade, so they're they're kind of on the downswing of their career a little bit. But nonetheless, even though this album doesn't chart at all, it's a really damn good album. And it's one of those things with King's X where you say, man, if more people would have heard this stuff, maybe they'd have been more popular. I think so. It's definitely one of their heavier records. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I consider that one of my favorites. There's some great songs on it. Mm-hmm. So that's your 25-year anniversaries right there. Let's jump back five more. This is a 30-year anniversary right here. This was the one that really got me into Rush. Like when I was younger, I mean, I'd see 2112 like in my aunt's and uncle's records and stuff. And my cousin Robin had some Rush, but I really didn't get into it. But in 1993, they came out with the album Counterparts, yeah. and it was the video for the song Stick It Out that made me go, huh, you know what? I didn't think I liked Rush, but I really liked this. And it was Rush kind of fitting themselves into, like, this wasn't a 20-minute song. This was just a straightforward rock tune, and I really liked it. Yeah, I like that album a lot. So then that made me go back and kind of be more open to Rush. And then I think as I got older and more mature, I think I learned to appreciate the older Rush stuff more. Even though I get crucified for this when I talk to a Rush fan, my favorite Rush album is still the debut album. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's my second favorite. My favorite is the last one they did, Clockwork Angels. Which is pretty great, too. Rush counterparts back in 1993 goes to number two in the U.S., so... That was a good return for Rush, and it really kind of them fitting themselves a little bit into what was popular at the time and saying, you know what, we can write pretty damn good straight-up rock tunes, too, that are accessible that to people that are into all these other bands that are popular right now, enough to grab you and go, you know what, there's, there's a little something more to this than just some weird band that my aunts and uncles listen to. <laughs> So then let's jump back to 1988. This is a 35-year anniversary. This one's not real popular, but you know what? I thought I'd add it to the list because it is interesting. Nowadays, Quiet Riot's out there. They're still doing their thing. I love them. I think they're amazing right now. I'm looking forward to new music coming from this lineup that they've got now. But the only thing that anybody could ever bitch about is saying, hey, there's not any original members in Quiet Riot. Well, I'm here to tell you, that back in 1988, when they released the album QR, which was the sixth studio album, it was the first Quiet Riot album without any original members, even way back then. Talking Paul Shortino from Rough Cut on vocals, Carlos Cavazos on guitar, he's not an original, Sean McNabb, who replaced... Chuck Wright, who had replaced Rudy Sarzo, who had replaced Chuck Wright. Right. (laughs) is in the band at this point, and Frankie Benali, even though he's considered a quintessential member of Quiet Riot, not technically an original member. So back in 1988, they come out with the album QR. Believe it or not, this album still charts. It only goes to 119, but it still charts. I'm surprised to hear that. I didn't think it charted. 
No, I was a little surprised to see that myself, but I kind of want to check that out. That's like uh, that era of Quiet Riot I've never really listened to. I, I don't think you'll like it. No? I like Paul Shortino in Rough Cut, but I do not like him in Quiet Riot. All right, so then let's jump us back to 40 years ago. This is an album we wouldn't generally talk about on this show, but for certain contributions, I think it must be mentioned that it is the 40-year anniversary of Cindy Lauper's She's So Unusual. Yeah. And, of course, the reason I bring it up is because of the contributions of Gary Corbett for that iconic keyboard riff on Shebop. Yeah. I still swear, you play that on guitar, it, it might be one of the coolest riffs of all time. Somebody should do a metal version of it. Totally should. Definitely. I would be down for that. Maybe talk to somebody. Maybe you and I can do that at the next Rockin' Pod if we do a podcast or jam. <laughs> what are you going to do, Molly Crew, Metallica? No, we're going to do Cindy Lauper. No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you a little story about girls and something they do. Only if we get to do Juice Newton after it. <sighs> we might have to negotiate this further after the show. <laughs> I just figured I'd make the joke for the listeners before they do it. Oh, nice. Well, you beat him to it this time. Yeah, I'm trying to be proactive here. And then did you know that Anton Fig also plays drums on some of the songs on that album? I did not know that. Uh, should have saved that for Beat the Geek. Cindy Lauper, She's So Unusual, goes to number four. It was so popular. I remember that stuff because it was Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling time. And Cindy Lauper was involved in all that with Captain Lou Albano and Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper and all them guys. Yep, and she was... She was everywhere. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't get away from her. MTV really blew her up. Yeah. 1983. It was a good time to be alive. Yep. All right, let's jump back five more years past there, back to 1978 on the 24th. Hey, Rush making their second appearance on the list today. They like releasing albums in the middle of October. And back in 78, they released their sixth, sixth full-length studio album, Hemispheres. Man, it's, this is Rush at their proggiest, I think. This album, I read, was very influenced by the bands Yes and King Crimson, who they were listening to a lot at the time. This was the, I think this was around the era of the robes, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, where they wore robes on stage. Yeah, I got to imagine. So, 78, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, pretty proggy. One of the coolest album cover artwork setups of all time on that one though yeah it is cool i really like that with the brain and the devil and the guy in the suit that's one of them albums as a little kid you'd look at that and be like what is going on here yeah all right let's jump back 50 years here's some big ones 50 year anniversaries these albums came out in 1973 let's start out with this one the self-titled debut album from the band montrose the very first one Ronnie Montrose, he was the guitar player in the Edgar Winter Band. You know, Frankenstein, that was him. Awesome guitar player. He finds this dude, Sam Hagar. Never heard of him. They come out with some cool songs. Rock Candy. Like I said, I'm not the biggest Sammy Hagar fan. Man, I love that song, Rock Candy. Mm-hmm. Bad Motor Scooter? Eh, not so much. I heard Ralph Vieira talking about that not too long ago, and he hit it on the head. Like, 
let's write a badass song about motorcycles. <laughs> I got a great idea. Let's call it Bad Motor Scooter. Okay, Sam. <laughs> Goofy. But man, Rock Candy, one of my favorite rock songs of all time. Sammy Hagar, I'm giving him some credit here. Mark that down in your little calendars. That one produced by Ted Templeman. I guess that's where the connection's made, even way back then in 1973. You know, someday I might be working with an awesome band that might need a new lead singer. Might recommend this guy. Montreux self-titled only goes to 133 on the U.S. charts, but, man, that guy was a pretty underrated guitar player. Oh, yeah. Even if you don't like Sammy Hagar, you might want to give that one a chance. I like some Montreux stuff. It's pretty good. Yeah. Then, on the very same day in 1973, celebrating a 50-year anniversary, this band had been around for a long time. It's actually their eighth studio album, but this is the one that finally breaks them. I'm talking about the Steve Miller Band and the Joker. Oh, I could go the rest of my life and never hear that again. Yeah, I mean, it was such a huge song. It, it's totally, if you look at the track listing on there, that album was totally lifted by that one song. Not much else on it? Not a whole lot on it. I'm a Steve Miller fan. I like some of his stuff. You know, Cherry picks songs throughout his whole career. Always like Steve Miller. That album, other than that title track, which it's a great song. Like I said, you don't need to hear it again. Kind of bummed out when Ace Fraley covers it. And it's like, <laughs> man, pick you, even a different Stevie Miller song you know, yeah. would have been great. But because it's got the line Space Cowboy in it, I feel like Ace Fraley feels obligated to do that song on the on the Origins album and I don't know like any other song I that mean, song it's, is it's, just so overplayed. It's just so obvious. I mean like that's like as dumb as covering Wild Thing. Oh wait, he did that too. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's <laughs> he's good for picking them songs that nobody ever needs to do a cover of again. And if you want to hear the best songs Ace Fraley could cover, we have like two full episodes dedicated to what we think he should have recorded. Yeah, that was a fun episode. We came up with some cool ideas for Ace Fraley. If anybody should listen to that episode, it's Ace Fraley. Yeah, get on it. Steve Miller Band, The Joker, goes to number two in the United States. They got one more for you. Man, we're going way back for this one. 55-year anniversary. That means this one came out in 1968. It was the third and final album by the Jimi Hendrix Experience, Electric Ladyland classic that's a good one man you can't beat it crosstown traffic and one of my all-time favorite songs voodoo child i love crosstown traffic like how high do you have to be like hey you know what would work good in this song kazoos (laughs) (laughs) better than saxophones yeah give them that no sexual harassment going on Uh uh-uh we like the kazoo so there you have it. Those are your album anniversaries. That's that's the stuff you want to break out this week and kind of celebrate. You want to get out that Ace Frehley from five years ago. Get some Motorhead from the end of their career. Vanilla Ice, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> but there's some other cool stuff on here, especially that Jimi Hendrix. got to love that. ACDC Black Ice. When was the last time you listened to that one? Probably when it was new. Mm. So go back and check them out. Let's look at some people we want to remember this week that have passed away in our times right now. So let's go back to 2008 at the age of 39. He was the bass player in Marilyn Manson's band. 
He was fired in 1993 for doing too many drugs. How many drugs do you have to do to get kicked out of Marilyn Manson's band in 1993? I don't know, but Gidget Geen found out. Jeez. He would go on to form a band called the Dolly Gaggers and do some stuff. He was known as a degenerate artist, the kind of stuff you don't really want to look at. That's the kind of art he was making. Uh, he was a South Florida, what they call a bag boy for a while. And what a bag boy is, is the guy who will go in after crime scenes and death scenes and you know, bring the body bag and clean up afterwards and stuff. That was his job. That would provide him lots of inspiration for his degenerate art. Hmm. He got back together with Marilyn Manson in 2003, and they did the video for the song Saint, which is considered to be one of the most vulgar and displeasing things to look at and the record company, MTV, everybody said, no fucking way. And the video was never released. I wonder if it's on YouTube. Maybe it is. I don't know. I would think that if it's as bad as what they say it is, then maybe even that would be a YouTube problem hmm. for it to be on there. Like I said, this guy was, he he thrived on making art that would make people kind of not feel good about looking at it died of a suspected drug overdose back in 2008, Gijigine. Here's one that's a little bit close to our hearts. Lost her on the 10th back in 2013 at the age of 59. Former guest to the show, Jan Kuhneman. Yeah, I saw a lot of posts today about her. Yeah, pretty interesting. She formed a band called Genesis in Minnesota in 1971, obviously had to change the name, came up with something catchy called Vixen. They pack up. She basically puts the whole band together, goes to L.A., gets the final pieces going. Breaks pretty big. Like I guess they'd be considered like a one-hit wonder. Yeah. And then they break up in 1991. Uh, Vixen reunites in 97 without Jan. That's kind of funny. Because it was her band. I know at the time that we talked to her, must have been 2012. I'm mm-hmm. guessing 2011, 2012, somewhere in there. Because she was one of our early interviews on the show. And I remember at the time, she was talking about like the conflict yeah. of the rest of the band basically doing a reunion and not including her, the founding member of the band. Yeah, I believe they wound up patching things up behind the scenes. I mean, like she didn't. I don't think she ever joined again, but she. I think everything was on a good pl- in a good place when she got sick. Right, and I was looking at this, and I think even at the time we, you and I, had talked about it off the not on the show, and wondering like, was she sick when we talked to her? Did she know she was sick when we talked to her? Because she didn't let us know. No, but timeline looking back on it now says that. I'm guessing she probably even knew then. She might have. It was some somewhere in that neighborhood of when we talked to her. Yeah. And then when she passed away, some contention on this too, you know, because then the rest of the band Vixen says, oh, hey, 
you know, before she passed away, we were in talks of a reunion. We were going to get it back together. And now we're going to carry on the band in her honor. Some people I know have called bullshit on that. Hmm. But other people say, you know, it's it's good that they carry on the name. I personally think now, I mean, she's gone. Vixen is kind of her legacy. I think it's great that the band carries on. I think it's it's cool. They they just released a new song yeah, like a really week good. ago that was really good. So, you know, I, I back Vixen. I think they're a great band, very talented. They've had a few different member changes over the years. So, you know, carry on and keep doing your thing and keep Tyson Leslie out there on the road. And that guy's a hell of a songwriter. i got to imagine he probably had a hand in writing that new song. I think he did. And Fred Curry from Cinderella, I think, helped co-write and produce it, too. Right on. That's cool. So all these years later, we still got Vixen. But, man, that Jan Kuhneman interview was pretty cool because that was one of the first bigger-name people that we got to talk to. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. It was a weird conversation, too. It was a little awkward, but uh, it came out good in the end. Yeah. Go way, way back in the archives for that one. Yeah. Then on the 19th, we want to remember a man who passed away back in 1997 at the age of 49, old school Alice Cooper guitarist Glenn Buxton. Yeah. That was the guy he was responsible for songs like I'm 18, Schools Out, Elected, his riffs that he came up with were the basis for those songs. You know, without Glenn Buxton, who knows what kind of heights that Alice Cooper makes it to because, I mean, those three songs right there were pretty much the big ones that broke him. Yeah. Made Alice Cooper a household name. After Alice Cooper band breaks up and Alice goes off to do his own thing, Glenn Buxton returns home to Iowa and lives a quiet life. He still loves music, gets out and plays with the local bands and stuff, but... He's good, man. Good where he's at. And he lives that nice, quiet life for a long time until in 1997, he ends up with viral pneumonia Mm. and it kills him. He was only 49. Yeah, that's pretty young. Yeah. So here's one that lives on in infamy all these years later, because on the 20th, everyone's going to be posting about it on Facebook. You're going to see it everywhere because this was a pretty... Huge moment in the history of rock music, and that was the plane crash that essentially ended Leonard Skinner. Oh, yeah. Is that October 20th? October 20th, the day we lost Ronnie Van Zant. Ronnie Van Zant was only 29 years old. It's kind of funny. I was reading about this. Not funny, but weird, kind of strange. Ronnie Van Zant never believed that he would make it to 30, and he'd tell people that all the time think his dad talked about that in the behind the music from a long time ago that said he would he would bring it up all the time yeah that's strange to like say it and say it and whoever will listen oh hell i ain't gonna live to 30 anyway oh i'm not gonna live i'll be dead before i'm 30 and then at 29 you die in an airplane crash which is unusual way to die I don't know. It's there's something about calling shit into existence sometimes. You gotta be careful what you say, especially when you say it over and over and over again. Yeah, it does make you wonder. Yeah, because it's a strange circumstance. It's not like I don't know, it's weird. So he was buried in Florida, and then in the year two thousand they had to move him because of vandalism. So he and Steve Gaines were pretty close to each other where they had mausoleums. 
And in the year 2000, some pieces of shit went in there and they like broke into the mausoleums, pulled Ronnie Van Zandt's casket out. They got into the remains of Steve Gaines and tore open the bag and spilled some of his remains out into the lawn. And they were like, man, we got to move him. And then for many years, nobody knew where he was at. Until recently, when somebody had posted some grave lots for sale and said, oh, they're right across from where Ronnie Van Zant is at. And that's where everybody figured out where he is now. But there haven't been no stupid bullshit things happen at the new grave sites. He's buried in a big concrete vault underneath the ground. They said it would take like some kind of heavy machinery to ever get him out. I've heard of one in collectibles, but that's taking it to a different level. Yeah, that's just got to be somebody. I mean, you think, you know, like, well, that sounds like something that would happen in, like, the late 70s, like, a couple years after it happened. Like, that's the kind of stuff kids would do to entertain themselves back then. Mm. Like, let's go, let's go see them, you know, or they were huge fans or something. But in 2000, that's even weirder. That's just got to be shitty people. Yeah. But that's a huge one right there. You know, Leonard Skinner, one of the greatest rock bands of all time, no doubt about it. And, yeah, a lot of people were sad when that happened. And to this day, you know, like I said, when the 20th rolls around, you're going to see a lot of posts about remembering the end of Ronnie Van Zant, Stephen Cassie Gaines, and Leonard Skinner. So let's do let's do two more. We'll just go up to the twenty first. That should bring us right back around to the next time we do Geekwire. I think this was a big one that was in our lifetimes. Like I remember hearing about this when when it happened back in nineteen ninety five. At the age of twenty eight, the world lost Blind Melon lead vocalist Shannon Hoon. Yeah, I remember that. But of course, us being Guns N' Roses fans, we were introduced to Shannon Hoon through that world where he sang some backups on use your illusion and appeared in was it the don't cry video yeah it was up on the roof part yeah so shannon hoon is introduced to the world by axel rose and then all of a sudden it's the new band blind melon and this is that guy that axel rose is kind of endorsed and it was because shannon hoon was also from indiana and his older sister was friends with Axl Rose. So when Shannon moved out to L.A., then he automatically had, like, the ultimate hookup. And he was also Ricky Rackman's assistant at the Cat House for a while. Nice. Yeah, that was a guy I always liked. You know, I liked his contributions to GNR. And, you know, the song No Rain, it's kind of wimpy and lame. But it's definitely their most popular song. But there's deeper cuts in Blind Melon that I like a lot more. And it always kind of bums me out that when you say Blind Melon, they go, oh, no rain. Yeah, but it, I mean, it was the perfect song for the time it came out. It just it connected with a lot of young people. A lot of young hippies. A lot of young hippie wannabes. Those guys were hippies. They smoked a lot of weed, did a lot yeah. of drugs. My girlfriend at the time was obsessed with that song for a little while. Yeah, I liked everything else on the album mostly, but that song. I like the Soup album. Yeah, there's some good stuff on that too. Uh, Shannon Hoon, like I said, a lot of drugs, dies of a cocaine overdose on the bus somewhere between Houston and New Orleans. Mm. Not the fun way to go. I guess he tried to 
clean himself up several times and just relapsed and relapsed, and that was the last chance. Go bust you out some old blind melon. I'm telling you, there's some deep cuts in there that's good. And then finally, also on the 21st, passed away back in 2006 at the age of 47, founding member and drummer of the Runaways, Sandy West. It was lung cancer, wasn't it? Yeah, and she had it pretty rough after that band broke up where like Lita Ford goes on to do stuff and Joan Jett goes on to do stuff and even Cherie Curry goes on to have her career. Not so much for Sandy West. You know, she goes back to becoming just a normal person like the rest of us having to work and pay bills and figure out a way to make ends meet. Yeah, I never, I wasn't sure what became of her after the band. She was prominently featured in that uh, Edge Play documentary. Yeah, but it's been so long since I've watched it, I can't remember what they said happened to her. Yeah, well, if it's been a long time since you watched it, you should check that one out. I, I remember seeing that a while back and really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's just it's been years since I've seen it. But it kind of at the same time felt sad for Sandy West because, you know, you could tell she had it in her heart, in her soul. She had the rock, you know, she that's what she really wanted to do and that's what she was meant to do. But after the runaways she couldn't find a way to really make a career out of it anymore, enough to, to live on. And so it's always sad to see somebody that gets the taste and is awesome and great at their instrument and has the spirit and not be able to achieve it and then have to come back down to being a normal person. That's got to be hard. Yeah, for sure. So there you have it. Those are the people you want to remember this week. Bust out some old Marilyn Manson if you dare. Some classic Vixen with Jan Kuhneman rocking on it. She was a hell of a guitar player also. We should definitely mention that. The classic Alice Cooper, you can't go wrong. Some old Leonard Skinner, you got to love that. Blind Melon and The Runaways, those are your assignments to remember people that have passed. So, with a couple of looks to the past, let's take a quick look to the future and some new albums coming our way. I've got four of them. They're all coming out on the 20th. First off, we've got the fourth full-length studio album from Duff McKagan. It's called Lighthouse. It's going to feature Slash on it. It's going to have Jerry Cantrell on it. And we talked about Duff McKagan's debut album. I think the last time we did Geek Wire was an anniversary of it. And that album was heavy with some lighter songs on it. Nowadays, it seems like it's the opposite of that. Nowadays, with Duff McKagan, like a while back, he came out with an album, and it was all really light stuff. Well-written songs, really great ballads, but not nothing heavy. So when Duff McKagan seems like he steps away from Guns N' Roses, he's doing like really mellow music. So I'm hoping Lighthouse maybe has a little more heavier stuff on it, but I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. Guess we'll find out when it gets here. That last album had a song about school shootings on it that... It's a ballad, and you wouldn't think I'd like it, but it's amazing. It's a deep, moving song, and it's something else. All right, also coming out on the 20th, I can't believe it's only their eighth full-length studio album. They're back. It's Lynch Mob. Yeah, George Lynch. He's got nothing better to do but rock and roll and record it. 
So, like last week, we announced that there was a new George Lynch album. This week, we're announcing there's a new Lynch Mob album coming your way. But this isn't any of the classic members of Lynch Mob. This has got Gabriel Colon from the band White Wizard on vocals, Jaron Golino from Tantric on bass, and Jimmy DeAnda from the Bullet Boys on drums, hmm. which is pretty cool. I heard one song off of it. I, I wasn't crazy about it. No? I read an article recently with George Lynch, an interview where he was talking about this lineup and then talking about past lineups on Lynch Mob. And he was really cool about it. Like a lot of times bands will look back at former members of the bands and be like, oh, that guy didn't work out for this. And I didn't like him because of that. But George Lynch really took the time to give it up to all former members of Lynch Mob and saying that, you know, it's like an evolving family. Like it's more than just, Oh, I picked these guys to be in my band. It's like, I chose these guys because of what they brought to the table, not just musically, but as people. And I consider them all to be my brothers over the years and all part of the family. So that's pretty cool. I like that. You know, George Lynch showing his, his grateful side. That's pretty cool. So that one's also out on the 20th. It's called Babylon, the eighth studio album from Lynch Mob. Actually, I want to tell you, if you're in L.A., they're doing their record release party at the Whiskey on the 25th. Hmm. So maybe go check out Lynch Mob at the Whiskey. That's got to be a good time, right? One, you might get to see Steve Summers and Christy Majors fighting in the parking lot. You never know. (laughs) You never know. That's two shows in one. (laughs) Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, I love it when these guys are like, well, then let's get out in the street and fight yeah. in front of everybody. It's so classic 80s thing to do. Yep. All right, also on the 20th, it's a good time to be a fan of rock and roll because right now, even though I'd rather see these bands make millions and millions of dollars every time they come out with a new album, especially the young up-and-comers or the bands that aren't worldwide names, But the other side of that is for a band to make it nowadays, if you have any kind of decent following, you have to almost constantly be coming out with new music all the time to be able to sell your fans. So if you've got 5,000 fans in the world where like a band like Guns N' Roses has got millions, but if you got 5,000 good fans in the world that will buy everything you come out with, it is in your interest as a band on the rise to provide them with as much as you can. Therefore you can make money and survive. And that's what rival sons is doing. Yeah. So this is their eighth full length studio album. And it is the second of 2023, the follow-up to dark fighter that came out earlier in the year, their new album coming out on the 20th. It's called Lightbringer, And this is actually a companion album to dark fighter. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. I like it. I mean, shit, if you're a fan of that band, you got to love it because it's like, man, my favorite band's coming out with a new new album. Holy shit, my band's favorite band, my my guys, they're coming out with another new album. Got to love it, man. That's cool. In a recent interview, they said they balanced out the albums with energy and meaning, but the follow-up always needed to be the one that delivered the bigger blow. So if you liked Dark Fighter earlier in the year, Lightbringer is going to be the punch that you really want that's going to bring the whole project together. So if you love the Rival Sons, 
get out there and get that new album, Lightbringer. Bands like that, they need the buys. They need you to get out there and support them, so do it. Here's a band, they could care less if you buy their new album or not, and I think that's what makes it cool that they're still doing it. Back after 18 years since their last studio album, and this would mark their 26th, it's the Rolling Stones, Legends. They don't need your money, but they're coming out with music anyway, and that's pretty cool. The album's called Hackney Diamonds. I'm guessing it's probably going to sell more than Duff McKagan, Lynch Mob, and Rival Sons combined. Yeah, I'm sure it'll, it'll, do, it'll do good enough, I'm sure. I like what I've heard off of it. Yeah, it's got some special appearances. I mean, you got Paul McCartney on there. That's pretty cool. Paul McCartney on a Stones album. I think Ringo's on it, too. I didn't see Ringo listed on it. I thought I read something that he he plays on one of the songs. I could be wrong, but I think he is. Maybe. Uh, I know Elton John is on it. Have we learned nothing from Ozzy? <laughs> Lady Gaga's on it. Of course. She's got to be on it. Stevie Wonder's going to be on it. Oh, that's cool. And even Bill Wyman making an appearance. I like that. I think that's pretty cool bringing him back. Right on. Can't tour, but he can go in the studio and help contribute. Yeah. This is wild, man. This guy has really... I remember way back when Black Country Communion was a new thing. And it was like the new Glenn Hughes project with Jason Bonham on drums. And they got this hot shot guitar player named Andrew Watt. And here we are all these years later. And Andrew Watt has produced Ozzy albums and has been involved with Post Malone, of all people. And is really kind of... Man, this guy, in the short time that we've known him, has really exploded. Andrew Watt produces some of the songs on this album. Yeah, he's the in-demand guy now. And I'll go ahead and correct you before the listeners do. It wasn't Black Country Communion. It was California Breed. Oh, California Breed. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Thank you. Just saving you a headache later. <laughs> That's a great album, too. Yeah. So, yeah, you know what I mean. I can't tell the Glenn Hughes projects apart. No. It's all Glenn Hughes to me. And, uh, Black Country Communion is Joe Joe Bonamassa. Ah, that's right. Yeah, I got him mixed up. Yeah, that stuff was awesome too. Anything with Glenn Hughes, I'm gonna like. So yeah, that's uh, those are the albums you got looking forward to coming in this next week or so. Duff McKagan, Lynch Mob, Rival Sons, and the Rolling Stones. Right on. Let's see what else we got coming. We're supposed to have still see. Before the end of the year. This was stuff that was rumored. I knocked Ace Fraley off the list because, of course, in the spring. And uh, a couple other ones, Anthrax, I knocked off the list because their shit ain't going to be done in time. But we're supposed to still get albums from Helmet and Airborne. And we still haven't gotten that new album from Accept. I got to imagine that shit's got to be long time finished by now. Mm-hmm. What are you guys waiting on? We're ready. Bring it on. The new Accept. We're still supposed to get a new album from Body Count this year from Europe. They're supposed to have put out a new album before the end of the year. Helix, Merciful Fate, The Rods. You ever heard of The Rods? Oh, yeah. I never knew about The Rods until I heard uh, Ralph and Ian, I think, one time talking about them. And then I checked them out. I was like, oh, man, this band is awesome. And they're supposed to have a new album out before the end of the year. 
The band Trouble was supposed to carry on and have a new album, but I haven't seen nothing from them yet. Hmm. And, of course, the moment we've all been waiting for this year, the huge release of Vinnie Vincent Judgment Day Guitar Mageddon 2. <laughs> that was supposed to come out in 2023. <laughs> you'll win the lottery sooner than you'll hear that record, I'm sure. Yeah. Ding dong. Who's there? I've got two box sets for you. It's a Christmas miracle. Airborne's coming here to Nashville like uh, next month. For real? Yeah, they're playing Eastside Bowl. Oh, man. I might have to go to that. Yeah, I was thinking about I like one. Airborne. Mm-hmm. I've never seen them live. I think that'd be cool to see them. No, they're an Australian band. I don't know how often they get around here, but they were pretty well known for a while there. I think they were building a pretty good name for themselves. They've been around all these years now and still continue to put out new music. I like everything they've ever come out with. So, yeah, I'd be interested in going and seeing that. Well, speaking of live shows, uh, did you hear uh, all the reports about the Power Trip Festival that took place last weekend? Shoot, yeah, man. Made me jealous. Wish I'd have been there. Those set lists were awesome. Yeah, especially ACDCs. They, yeah. they broke out a bunch of cool stuff. But yeah, Metallica, ACDC, Judas Priest, and Tool, and Iron Maiden at uh, Indio, California, where they do Coachella, and some of the audience shots were insane. Um, yeah, I'm not built to do go to these things anymore, but that's what YouTube's for, and I can watch it there. ACDC starting to show their age a little bit finally, but still sound good and live, and um, yeah. Bruce Dickinson struggled a bit, but uh, Maiden still sounded really good. Um, I've, I haven't watched a ton of the videos. Metallica's, their video wall didn't work real well with their show. Um, from what I, I looked at, cause you know, they're the, they, they can't do the in the round stage at that thing. Right. So it was, they had to do something different and it, it didn't really work well, but it looked like it was a cool show overall. Cool weekend. But, um, but yeah, man, I just, I hope this means ACDC is going to finally tour cause I would love to see them one more time. Yeah, I would too, but I don't want to force them out there into an Aerosmith kind of situation. Yeah. Where it's like one show, go out there and kick ass, great, but can you do it every night of the week? It's a tall order with that stuff, especially for Brian. That shit's not easy to sing. And again, you know, and we preach it here all the time, you know, what are we going to do in the future? If you look at the Power Trip Festival lineup, iconic, legendary bands. Who's going to be on the Power Trip Festival in five years? Who's going to be on it in 10 years? Green Day, Blink-182, maybe Godsmack or Disturbed. I'm just thinking. Papa Roach. No. Yeah, because they're going to be the Metallica of that generation. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that story. Give me a (laughs) moment. Come on. You think about it, it's kind of true because once these bands are gone, I mean, when you just listed off the bands, that it'll probably be. Yeah. Well, I mean, Green Day's been playing stadiums for a while. You know, they they never get brought up anymore, but they they still do really well. Yeah. And when you're talking about like this lineup, you like say take the most legendary rock bands available and put them all in one festival. That's pretty much what this was, which. Man, hats off to Power Trip for making it happen. Tried to get Ozzy. That didn't quite work out, you know, and that's that's another clue to anybody looking at this to go, we're getting close. 
We're getting closer all the time. That clock is tick, tick, ticking away on the legends of hard rock and metal. You know, how much longer does Priest have? How much longer does Maiden have? ACDC don't look like they got much left in the tank. Metallica is not going to be around forever. we got to start building up these next bands. Yeah, and I saw a little bit of Priest set. They look good. Although Rob came out with a cane, so I wonder if he's having, like, hip problems or something. Um, well, for Christ's sake, he's 120 years old. I know. He looks like it. Um, but uh, speaking of Priest, uh, they released uh, their information on their new studio album, Invincible Shield, is coming in March of 2024. And uh, this will, of course, be the fo- follow-up to Firepower. It's a tall order. They also released kind of a little teaser of the uh, first single. It's a song called Panic Attack. And uh, did you watch the teaser yet? No. And I think I was confused by things because I had read somewhere that the album had leaked. No. No? No, I would have known about that. Okay, so I guess I misunderstood them because I thought that the album had leaked and somebody had already like started pressing it to sell it bootleg style. No, that's just some the some of the websites had already uploaded the um the ordering information and somebody gotcha. somehow stumbled on it and it, so the information got leaked. But they were going they were announcing everything this week. So it got leaked a few days early. Gotcha. I'm glad for that because when I thought that was a thing, I was really upset. It's like that's going to hurt Judas Priest, and whoever this idiot is is going to get sued big time. No. But, but uh, it, my it, wife tripped me out because she sent me that link and asked me, do you have this one? And I go, <laughs> what is that? And I'm, like, I'm trying to like open it on the screen to try to read what the title is. And it's like, Invincible Shield, I've never heard of this. You know, like, there's no Judas Priest album that I've never heard of. <laughs> What is this? And it's like, oh no, that's the new one. Fuck yeah, yeah. And um, but you've got to hear the teaser clip because it's the intro to the to the single that's coming out this week. And it's I'll just say this, man, it's a uh, guitar synth. Oh I got, no, I got real turbo vibes from the intro. Oh no, no, not <laughs> turbo vibes. <laughs> I did. Oh shit. Now. I also saw a video of a guy that somehow claims that he got his hands on the full song. And he's like, yeah, it does have the intro like that. But once the song gets going, it's a straight up Judas Priest song. He's like, it's more like a firepower and painkiller sound. Yeah, because firepower was awesome. Yeah. Like, I was blown away that Priest was still coming out with an album that good at this stage in their career. You know, so I'm very, very looking forward to Invincible Shield. I'm not even going to try to make it try to, you know, I'm not even trying to compare it to firepower because it's great on its own. And it's not fair to the new record because, you know, you'll want to live with it for a while. I'm sure it's going to be different though, but but, I mean, we'll see. I'm just happy we're getting new music. Yes, me too. Give it to us while we can, you know, and hopefully it's better than KK's album. I tried listening to that again. Nah, not for me. And here's another thing too. We talk about supporting the up and coming bands you know, Judas Priest is, I mean, they're still putting out new music. That's great. You know, there's a lot of bands out there that are like, no, we're just going to play the hits. We got no interest in coming out with new music. Judas Priest is not going to go number one on the charts. It's it's not going to happen. But it'd be awesome if it did. 
And we can make that happen if we all go out and buy it. So pre-order that thing now. And let's show the world through Judas Priest that this music is still damn important to us. And show some love and gratitude to Judas Priest for still caring enough about us and having the artistic integrity to still want to create new music. You know, that's special and that's good, especially in this day and age. I say this, let's band together, let's all buy the new Judas Priest album, let's put Invincible Shield number one on the U.S. Billboard charts. We can do it. I don't think we can, but I like the the spirit. We can do it. If everybody <laughs> does it, then it will. You mean everyone in, the, in our listenership? Everybody in the world. Yeah, but we're doing a podcast. Who's gonna? Who else is going to hear that? Tell your friends. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. Tell your friends. Judas Priest got a new album out, and they have to buy it. You'll see people going to like meet up with family and be like, Aaron Camaro told me that you have to go buy the new Judas Priest record. Yeah. And they're like, who the fuck is that? Give me your credit card. For what? I'm about to order you the new Judas Priest. <laughs> you can thank me in March of 2024. Right. Um. And another story, Megadeth is uh, now kind of turning into the new L.A. Guns. Uh, Dave, looks like Kiko Larrero might be out of the band. Yeah, they're, they got to be up there with L.A. Guns as far as, like, different members. Yeah. Like and the body count of the bands. And Kiko was fitting in seamlessly with them. Plays great. Um, decided to take some time off to apparently spend time with his kids overseas. And... Dave seemed super understanding about it when they announced it. Everything seemed copacetic. And then um, this new guy, new guy's Timu Timu something. And Dave has just been raving about this guy. Yeah. And then came out recently and said, I don't know when Kiko's coming back. So I think, I think Kiko might be out of the band. Kind of sounds like it. If Dave Mustaine is giving you praise, it must be for a reason. It ain't because he likes to praise people. Yeah. Say, hey, accept this guy because he's the one now. Our old buddy Mitch Malloy is back in the news. Oh, yeah? He uh, sang the U.S. National Anthem at the Super Motocross World Championship Finals in Los Angeles recently. Well, that's pretty cool. I want, How do you think they, they uh, announced him? <laughs> <laughs> Known as being the guy. <laughs> The guy from Van Halen. Ah, uh, yeah. He gets done singing and the crowd cheers. Thank you. Thank you. I get asked this all the time. Or did they say from the Mitch Malloy Van Halen experience? Here's Mitch Malloy. I don't know. I think it's cool. No. I think it's cool he got to do it. It's cool he sang the national anthem. It's just fun to goof on Mitch, but uh, he does seem like a decent guy. No, we met him that time. He seemed really cool. It yeah. is funny, you know, that I don't know. We pick on him a little bit, but... I like that. I don't pick on him all the time. Even Sammy Hagar, I don't pick on all the time. It's never in a mean spirit. It's rare that we're ever being mean about any of these people. Would you rather Um, us not talk about them at all? Don't answer that. Yeah. And then to close things out, I thought this was a kind of an interesting story. Um, During an appearance on NotFest Squared Circle Pit show, Fozzie and Stuck Mojo guitarist Rich Ward reflected on their concert opening for Iron Maiden, um, but also mentioned uh, how he's learned how to treat fans from a bad interaction with Scott Ian. Really? Yeah. And uh, 
if you go through the comment section on any story about this, uh, you will see a countless amount of people sharing their bad experiences with Scott Ian. Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he seems like such a nice guy. He, he, well, for, and I've seen, and I've known several people that have had run-ins with him and the vibe I basically get is if you're not rich or famous on some level, he wants nothing to do with you. Wow. He's only about being with his fellow celebrities and is notorious for being an asshole to fans. So what did he do to Rich Ward? He was uh, Anthrax. I'm trying to just, I, I don't want to go read the whole thing, but basically Anthrax was doing a um, record, uh, record store signing and Rich and his friend showed up late, but the band was still there and they were just kind of thumbing through records and hanging out. And he had like his record to get signed and walked up to him and was like, oh, is the, is the record signing already over? And Scott just gave him a, a, a look and was just like, yeah, it's over. And then, but he's like, he felt so negative from how Scott reacted that he was just like, I'm not even going to bother him for an autograph now. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least like you say, you know, you learn how not to be. Yeah. He said, you know, and he said, he, he said, do I think Scott Ian's a dick? I don't even know. And it's none of my business to say. I just know that lesson learned. Don't treat people shitty when they come up to you and say, hey, I love, you know, he's mentioned Stuck Mojo's Pig Walk. That was a cool record. Make sure to shake their hand and say thank you. Because if you're a dick to them, not only does that show little class and a lack of appreciation for a real fan, but also it just shows you have no class at all and means you're a shitty human. And so all of those kind of bad situations, I just turn them back around on myself as a lesson. Don't do that. It looks shitty. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, just Scotty and notorious for not being a nice guy. Yeah. Cause that is pretty lame. Cause I would think like if, if you and I were to do like an autograph signing, I would be so blown away that anybody would want our autograph that I would sign anything and be so happy to do it just because I'd be so blown away that anybody would even want it. And then we'd send them back to the mental hospital. <laughs> Here's the folks you rented for the afternoon to make it look like somebody wanted your autograph. Yeah. But then like you say, like to somebody takes the time to come in and like I got the album in my hand and like, oh, is it too late? Yeah, fuck off. And like mm. drop it in the trash can on the way out the door and say, Fuck them guys. Yeah. I hate hearing stories like that, but it does sound like he he took a good lesson from it, so that's cool. And that's kind of what you got to do, you know, if you're smart, because like I can tell you even back when I was on radio, there was a DJ there that I really looked up to and he was super popular, but kind of a lot of times the way he would act would be like, I'd see him do things or say certain things to people that were listeners or, you know, at establishments and stuff. And I'd be like, "Mm, that's, that's not cool. You know, I'm going to definitely never be like that and then it's a good reminder of how you come off if you act that way like i had a friend that would always go to the bartender and be like hey that's aaron david from z104 you know how about some free drinks and the bartenders always be like shoot yeah here you go and then i'd go stop fucking doing that you know stop doing that because i'm going to become known as a guy trying to mooch drinks all over town off of my name off of my job you know, quit doing that shit. And that was the kind of stuff I would see this other guy doing where it's like, yeah, one time was cool. 
and then you're coming back in for another free one and trying to come back for another free one. And now you look like an asshole, you know, so I always try to nip that right away. But I had a buddy that was notorious for doing that shit behind my back. And I'd get pissed. I'd be like, you got to stop fucking doing that. Well, he was doing it because he'd get to drink for free, too. So he never really stopped doing it, even though no matter how mad I would get. Mm. But, yeah, that other DJ, he would... I went into a bar with him one time, and he caused all kinds of problems with his big ego and yelling about, like, don't you know who I am kind of shit. And I was like, you know, this guy is super cool when he's not drinking, but I will never ever be like that you know and i was young and too grateful for the opportunity i didn't have the ego i was just too happy to be there doing it to be like that and it's not in my nature to be like that but it was a always good to see something like that to give yourself like a goalpost to going i'm not doing that i'll never be like that i'll never talk like that i'll always show appreciation which is easy because like just like this show and the people that listen to it, we appreciate everyone so much. So oh, you know, yeah. if, you, if you ever are silly enough to ask us for our autographs, <laughs> we're more than happy to give it to you. I'm just happy anybody listens, man. It's, exactly. uh, and we, we, we've met some awesome people along the way. Yep. And fortunately, sounds like have never met Scott Ian. Yeah. I don't think we'll be doing that interview anytime soon. Oh, I'd be scared now. <laughs> we only release that kind of stuff for the VIPs. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the real the real dirt gets done. Yeah, yeah. When people treat us bad, the VIPs get to hear about it. Yeah. Well, that's only all the stories I got for this time. All right, cool. Well, there you have it. The latest and greatest happenings, just as promised, in the world of rock and roll. We brought it all to you, covered everything today, from brand new Judas Priest to Bad Blood with Pretty Boy Floyd and everything (laughs) else in between. You got a lot of good stuff today. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back this next week. Oh, we got something cool in the works. Don't forget that on the 20th, we're doing Friday Night Live, live from the Camaro studio with Dawn of the Rising. Coming to you live from Nashville, Tennessee. We want you guys involved on that to interact with us. Um, check out my appearance on the recent Rock and Metal Combat podcast with Ralph and Ian. We had a lot of fun. Very vulgar, just the way you expect it. I really get to cut loose with those guys because I don't mind my manners at all when I'm with them. And Ian really needs to add more Polish jokes to the show. <laughs> Fucking asshole. <laughs> He is so funny, man. He, he just he I cracks me up. He he reminds me of Rick from Rick and Morty because it's like he'll say a word, he'll burp, and he'll say a word, he'll burp, and he's like <laughs> the burp becomes part of the sentence, and it's like five words, six burps, one sentence, and it's like <laughs> Ian Wadley. That's fucking comedic gold right there. I don't know if he's doing it on purpose or not, but it's funny as hell. <laughs> and always have a blast with those guys. So check them out. My appearance over there. And then, like I said, we got something pretty cool we think we got lined up for you next week, something that's really going to kind of blow your mind a little bit. So we'll be back with that. We're a part of Pantheon Podcast. If you're looking for a new one, a good rock music podcast, hell, it doesn't even have to be rock. It can be any kind of music because if it's a good podcast, they've already vetted it for you. They've got all the best under their umbrella. So don't waste time listening to bad podcasts. Go right to the best. Go right to Pantheon Podcasts. And if that's the end of the news, then I guess we can get on out of here. See ya.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 